صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنرز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 اي ام اند باليستاين ريمبرد وذ روبرت مارتن ناصر مشني اند يوسف احمد الريماوي Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Good morning listeners and welcome to another episode of Palestine Remembered. Today we're not going to talk about Palestine. Though we've got a Palestinian on the show. We're going to talk to some wonderful Australians who are running for the National Tertiary Education Union. And joining us today, Anastasia Kanyeri, Andrew Beitzel, and a dear friend of our show, Fahad Ali. Good morning, guys. Hey, Nasser. Good Thanks morning, for having Nasser. us. Thank you for giving up some time and sharing your stories, but also what you're trying to do with the national executive there at the NTEU. Now, Fahad, you've been a long-time friend and participant in the show. Introduce the crew to us and tell us a little bit about what's going on. I guess to start off, I'm a research assistant and a casual academic at the University of Sydney, and my background is in genetics. And I've been a member of the NTEU, the National Tertiary Education Union, for a number of years. I've always been a unionist. Um, but unfortunately, one of the sad things about working in universities is that for people like me, as a casual academic, there's you know virtually no job security, and the conditions are quite bad. So we have a problem, I think, in our universities, but also within our union. And so when Anastasia got in touch with me to let me know that she was running for general secretary of the NTEU and asked me to be her running mate. For national president, I thought this is a fantastic initiative. Um, and I guess just to sum up in a few words, what we're trying to do is trying to bring democracy back to the union. And what we're trying to do is put power back in the hands of university workers to fundamentally change the nature of the sector so that we can win back conditions, pay and jobs. Anastasia, why don't you share with us your story and how you're on this ticket? I've been an activist uh, for a long time doing predominantly like a lot of my work has been around Aboriginal deaths in custody, around uh, border violence and refugee rights and other sort of anti-racist work. And I started getting involved in the NTU. I mean, I've always been an NTU member, but I started getting getting seriously active in probably about the six months leading up to the pandemic. I uh, started trying to connect with some delegates, get some health and safety stuff going on. And also uh, began a casuals network at La Trobe Uni, because as Fahad has uh, alluded to, precarious workers in the university sector are particularly underserved by our current union structures. Then from then, I got uh, elected to my branch and also to National Council, which is the supreme democratic decision-making body of the union. And basically, in my experience in kind of progressing up the union ranks, what I learned was that I started to see some answers to the questions that I had around why things 
felt so stale and why there was such a lack of agility and action and wins from the point of view of a rank and file member. So from the point of view of an ordinary university worker who's a member of the union and and worried about my working conditions and those of my colleagues. And I started to see some of the decision making going on and think, ah, okay, I think I understand some of the problems. And, And also the further that I went in this work, the more that I thought, oh, there's actually no solution but us, right? That ordinary members ourselves only have ourselves to look to to, to solve these problems. So that's how we came to, to this ticket and to this project to really quite drastically reshape the future of our union. Brilliant. And Andrew, bring you in. You're, you're running for National Assistant Secretary. Yeah, that's correct. Not a little job either. What's motivated you, Andrew, to run for? Well, before I begin, I want to say that I'm speaking from the lands of the Yugger and Turrbal people in uh, Brisbane, Mianjin, and I myself am an Indigenous man of uh, Niganyaw descent uh, from the Tom's family. And so it's great to be on a show like Palestinian Remembered because uh, Indigenous sovereignty and Palestinian sovereignty are both the same causes, you know, and I want to sort of extend solidarity out to Palestine and, you know, because it's from the river to the sea, you know, Palestine will be free. Absolutely, Andrew, and thank you very much for that. But what motivated me really was I've been, I guess the main thing that I've sort of organised in the tertiary sector would be in 2019, I organised against a lecturer at Griffith University who was teaching a course on missions and she was saying that missions prevented genocide in Australia, which is very, very wrong. And so I organised a bunch of um, grassroots action, uh, Indigenous students and elders up here and we basically, well, she retired. So that's kind of, I, I've got a long history of organising up here in my community, just like in the left community. And, and I just sort of think that I've kind of hit a point in my life where it's like I've sort of, I've got this job at, I got a, kind of got a job at UQ, which is where I work. I'm a fixed-term staff member. And I kind of got this job by accident. Where I am in my life is that I'm sort of like, well, I, you know, I need to sort of do things that are a bit more stable. And I ended up sort of getting involved with the NTEU and very quickly realised that the NTEU was not a very good union. <laughs> and I sort of thought, well, you know, there's a great opportunity with this campaign and I've got a long history of organising grassroots campaigning. And I just thought, well, it makes sense to join and it makes sense to try and make a difference. So why not? Brilliant, Andrew. Well done. I had one of the things, I mean, I went to university in the mid late 80s. Student activism was already dying out. My very last bit of my last year we started demonstrating against HEX, you know, the concept that we were going to have to start paying for university. What was Gough Whitlam's wonderful gift to Australian uh, students was free tertiary education. No longer did you have to be a blacksmith if your father was a blacksmith. You could now go to a university. Universities today, uh, businesses, degrees, a product of that business. The vice chancellor now is, is a CEO of a business unit and has to report daily. The impacts are stupendous. Firstly, in the quality and caliber of education, but also the impact it has on the teaching and the quality of student learning. Before we go into too much of that, and that's just as a background, coming back as an academic, what does that mean for you having gone through your activist journey? Being a student, now you're an academic, life must be pretty tough. You know, being an academic now has given me a very, very different view of some of my student days. You know, back as a student, I sometimes would struggle to understand why, you know, it took so long to get some of my assignment feedback or why some of the assignment feedback I got didn't seem particularly in depth. And I realize now as an academic, it's because we just aren't resourced appropriately to do that. 
So one thing that I see quite often is, uh, you know, when I'm teaching or when I'm marking assignments, I'm not paid adequately for the work that I need to do. And that that's really sad because I love what I do. I love my job. I love teaching. I think it's a fantastic, um, you know, career. Unfortunately, if I'm given 15 minutes to mark an essay and it takes half an hour to properly read and grade it and provide feedback, you know, I'm not getting paid for that half hour. So that inevitably means I need to make a decision between providing free labor to the university or, you know, alternatively taking, you know, a burden upon myself of like time, energy, and and that's a really unhealthy place to be in. So one of the things we're saying is that if staff had adequate conditions, if we have proper pay, if we had job security, that necessarily flows onto the quality of teaching and learning because we'll be able to provide better education simply because we're better resourced and you know we really think that that's one of um, the central pillars of like a good tertiary education system and sorry because by the way just when Fahad's speaking about these miserable working conditions these are not impoverished institutions right like these are not institutions don't have enough money you you were talking about how the the vice chancellor's operators basically ceos and they are on multi-million dollar salaries and that's you know that's when you don't not even uh, counting all the money spent on consultancies and all the other senior executives so these are incredibly wealthy institutions that are registering these massive surpluses so I mean even even apart from the question of the federal government's failure to to defend the sector even with the money that the sector currently has the, the treatment of staff and students is just unacceptable and again, this is where we have to ask questions about the efficacy of the union. It is literally the job of a union to balance out the scales between bosses and workers. And you need to do that fearlessly and relentlessly and with a strategy and determination. And we're just not seeing that. And, and I think that really crucially, when you, you know, we're looking at the tally sheet right now of, of how the union has performed over the past, well, decades, really, and it, it doesn't wash out. And we can't keep going like this for the sake of ourselves and also for the sake of our students. There's no way that we can watch these conditions just continue to erode. You know, I have little kids myself. My daughters are five and eight. And I, I would, I guess, like them to be able to think about going to university one day. I mean, if you think about 10 years from now, what you know, when the eight, eight-year-old might be able to think about going to a university, I just... I honestly cannot imagine what working and learning conditions might look like in universities at that point. So it's a it's a scary situation. Indeed, indeed. Thanks so much, Anastasia. And for, Andrew, why don't you tell us a little bit about what it's like in a university today? And I mean that from the perspective of, look, I can't understand why anybody wouldn't be a member of a union. How? What's the percentage of staff members that are actually members of unions? But also, do you have, and I say this terribly, I've got some friends who are, uh, who are in the building industry. And many of them are reaping the benefits of all of the union struggles, remembering the eight, 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 eight hours of work, eight hours of play and eight hours of rest. That They were hard fought victories. Bosses didn't give that stuff up willingly. If it was up to a boss, they'd send you down a, a coal mine with a canary and say, when the canary stops singing, Bob, start running because you're about to die. That Why anybody wouldn't be a member of, of a union just beggars belief. But... In your university at UQ, do you have that level of resistance of people wanting, are they all members? Um, it's quite, 
low across the board. I mean, like union density over the last 30 years or so has really declined ever since neoliberalism really came in. UQ, I believe, it's about 15% across the board. So only one in six people is a member of the NTEU. So these are staff members, faculty members who are suffering from lack of tenure, insecurity of payment, expected yep. to do work over and above what's possible. As Fahad was just saying, it takes 30 minutes to grade an essay, gets paid for 15 minutes. So he has to make a choice. Does he spend 15 minutes in unpaid work and deliver an outcome to a student who's hopeful of creating a better future of themselves and unpaid labour? I mean, the universities are part of the whole, you know, the supermarkets not pay staff hundreds of millions of dollars in wages. The universities are now caught up with yep, this. that's correct. And five in six staff members of these higher education don't want to be members of unions. Yeah, well, I mean, the problem, I think, is that when I sort of, to give you my context, when I joined, the NTEU was kind of like, the best way to describe it is it's kind of like a bit of like a rundown house, I suppose. It's really not in a great shape. Now, if you look to the current leadership, I oh, know they're doing fantastically, but we kind of, we're rank and file members and we've kind of seen it from the bottom. And we can tell you, like, in my workplace, there's got to be 300, 500, probably nearly 1,000 people working in my institute at UQ, and there's about eight members in the, in the union. It's incredibly low. Wow. That's not even 1%. You were saying 15% before. Oh, yeah. And then when it comes to actually trying to organise, so I can give you my perspective. So I'm a delegate with the NTEU, and we don't get member lists from the national leadership. So I can't tell you who those eight members are because the union won't tell me. <laughs> and it's really crazy. And, well, it's not It's not even crazy, it's deliberate because the leadership in this union is really kind of against organising and against grassroots organising and against kind of democratic processes. And they kind of do what they can to hamstring these sorts of things from actually growing. So someone like me, rank and file, who's, you know, fairly, you know, pretty radical, is trying to organise their workplace and trying to organise workers, they're not going to support someone like me. And there's been many cases, which Anna and, and, and Fahad can go into, where caucuses have been downplayed. Um, I think Fahad actually had a, they issued a wage increase and that was down, that was, you know, dismissed by the leadership, which Fahad can go into. But yeah, it's really hostile. And the people that are in the union are kind of, it's not their fault, like the organisers in the union, it's not their fault that things are this bad. It's that they are so under the, I guess, tyranny, let's be honest, of the leadership, that they can't do their jobs and they can't, you know, work without, they can't, because they're constantly under threat, you know, because it's, it's really hostile and there's so much internal uh, bullying and hostility and it's just, it's not a great place to, it's not much of a union at all, really. No place to be. We're joined today by Anastasia Canieri, who's running for National General Secretary, Andrew Weissel for National Assistant Secretary, and Fahad Ali for National President. Fahad, usually NTEU elections are not contested. So you, you've thrown a spanner in the works. That's a good Palo thing to do. Andrew just spoke about some of the reasons that he's running. Give, fill us in on some of the reasons you're, you've chosen to run. I, I mean, we've spoken about all the reasons people should be members of their unions, and I have, you know, a very long involvement in the union movement, um, even before I was a worker in the university and before I was a member of the NTEU. I have been at this university for a long enough period of time that I know that I want a career here and I want to build upon that. And I'm still at a very early stage 
from my like I'm an early career research and I've been working you know for four years that's not comparatively long when I see my colleagues who are 10 or 20 years after finishing their PhDs still stuck in casual positions whenever job advertisements go up um, you know some people don't get interviews um, sometimes there's a thousand applicants for a single role and sometimes and quite shockingly I heard at Sydney University they advertised a lectureship in biology that they didn't fill with anyone at all because they realized the university realized that oh actually we've got all this video content we've made the casuals create during covid we're just going to use that in place of hiring someone so when i see stuff like that i realize that my future my career this is my dream job that that is slipping away and it's going to be completely impossible for anyone to get to that you know to climb the academic ladder. And I don't want that for myself. I think that I owe it to my colleagues and we all owe it to each other to prevent that kind of future from emerging. And unfortunately, what I see in the union at the moment is almost this kind of wishy-washy liberalism of like, oh, we'll just ask the government to help us out or, oh, we'll just have backroom chats with vice chancellors about, you know, and, and that's not the way to do it. The way we got to do it is we've got to build member capacity. We've got to democratize the union and encourage people to be proud of what we're doing, to take action and to fight. And that's the only way we're going to actually save the sector. And so I just don't see that reflected in the current leadership. And, you know, as you said, it's a very pallo thing to do to throw a spanner in the works. We're trying to light a fire under the, um, you know, underneath the the current leadership. And, um, you know, hopefully we will be successful in that. Well, fingers crossed. Anastasia, I was actually in a meeting earlier on today and it really, look, it hurts my head. My father was a shop steward and, you know, we, we grew up union proud. Why anybody wouldn't be a member I've heard, and I'm on the outside, some of the terrible stuff that's been spoken about the NTEU around racism and bullying and transphobia. I mean, is there any wonder they're only attracting one in six of their of their people? Well, yes, 100%. And I think the other thing that's really crucial when we talk about this is have people been asked? You need to ask people to join the union. And the vast majority of workers in the sector, even workers who've been working for years, have not been asked, not even once, let alone multiple times, let alone multiple times by people that they trust with good arguments, with proven techniques. I guess, I mean, a a lot of what you're alluding to, I think, is the need for a pretty massive sweep of radicalisation in all of our organisations and institutions. And To do that, we need a bunch of things. Firstly, we need those institutions to function. So a big part of our critique, you know, the critique that Fahad and Andrew and I are putting forward is just to do unionism well, just to make the databases work, make the website look okay, make the comms read well, make people actually answer their phones and return phone calls and emails, really basic just good practice stuff, having excellent, robust financial governance, good HR procedures, just just do a good job of your literal job. Then the second part is switching to to really strong organising structures. I was lucky enough with some comrades to do some training recently by a school called Organising for Power, which is an international school that runs these free training workshops where you can learn how to conduct organizing conversations, how to plan 
majority petitions and majority actions and and towards massive strikes. So not obviously running strikes when you have the kind of density that we have talked about is really tough. Also, another topic that we can get into is the NTU's uh, extreme reticence about using its $11 million strike defence fund to actually pay workers who are going out on strike. But it, let, let, let's set that aside. So once you're doing excellent organise, well, I mean, these aren't sequential necessarily programs. But the other thing that you've alluded to, which is incredibly important, is that you need a union that you can be proud of. And for that, you need a union that handles bullying in ways that are robust and transparent and accountable. You need a union that is strongly and unequivocally opposed to racism and colonial violence and transphobia. You need a union that has excellent internal democracy so that members, whether or not members agree with decisions that are made by the union, they always know how those decisions were made and they always understand that democratic procedures were followed. So we need to be able to be proud of our institutions and our institutions need to proudly prosecute a progressive agenda to prove the world. We can't see a union simply as a kind of not particularly effective insurance for some of the most privileged of, of workers. You know, and, and just to, to be really clear here, you know, so I'm I'm a casual worker, so I'm not in the upper echelons of the university sector, but I'm a white settler from a middle-class background, you know, I'm and and cis and straight, really am as about as privileged as you can as you can get in terms of a working class person entering the workforce. And the union's still not managing to to speak to any of my needs. So I mean, and I'm by no means representative of the majority of our workforce. So is it any wonder that we're seeing such such a lack, such a loss of faith. The problem is definitely with the communications, the comms, because if you're not working on the weekend, that's because of the union. If you're getting time and a half or double time, that's because of a union. If you're getting a paid holiday, that's because of a union. If you're getting sick pay, that's because of your union. That's because of some union fought for you. And if for whatever reason, you're not a member of your union, in this instance, we're talking about the NTEU, but if you're not a member of your union, you're listening to the show, Find out who represents you as a worker and join the union. Get active, participate, protect your rights and those of your workmates and get everybody else unionised as well. Andrew, I wonder if you might want to comment. A thousand staff members, maybe eight union members. I mean, if that's not a reason for the entire elected leadership to hang their heads in shame and hand the keys over, could there be a more compelling case? I think so. You know, I mean, it also speaks, I think, to Indigenous members because there was quite a high-profile case of a Indigenous lecturer basically being... She had a case of racism at UQ and the national leadership basically said to her, we're not going to fight for you. We're not going to... Because she was taking them to court and they basically said, we're not going to do anything for you. Sorry. And so she ended up leaving the union and she ended up leaving a job. So they basically let her... They just drove her out. I've spoken to her about this. So she said to me, you know, you go and blast them. <laughs> you know? So it's kind of like, it's no wonder as well. I'm not just like non-Indigenous workers, but for Indigenous workers too. I mean, what incentive is there to join when someone's so high profile is thrown under the bus? Then what, what if somebody's not very high profile? Well, you're not going to get any treatment, are you? And it really speaks, I think. That's, that's the actual calling card of the union. Yeah. Our solidarity. Together we are stronger. Yep. Together we are stronger. If there's only eight of you out of a thousand, only eight of you are members of the union, 
how can you expect protection? How can you negotiate when you've only got eight members in a, in a whole university? I mean, they should hang their heads in shame. They should. That's, uh, I mean, that's not, that's just my institute. The university has about 6,000 uh, staff members. And I think, don't quote me, but I think it's only a few hundred members at UQ. So there's not a lot of members up here. I mean, they should hang their heads in shame. It's really kind of, I mean, going back to 2020 with the jobs protection framework, I mean, that was, and then there was, you know, cases of uh, transphobia and basically, you know, a supporting gender critical feminism, which is transphobia by another name. And there was the case with uh, the Indigenous lecturer. Um, I mean, it's just endless, you know, and it's just, this is a leadership that we have. And it's really a symptom of the fact that the NTEU is a neoliberal union and it's a managerial union. And it's not like, you know, I used, I've done work with the MUA up here. I haven't been a member of the MUA, but I was the coordinator for Anti-Poverty Network Queensland, which was an unemployed workers kind of union. And we did work with the MUA. And I know um, Paul Peterson and Bob Carnegie up here incredible staunch comrades it's nothing like their union it's nothing like their that solidarity that comradeship that they have and that staunchness that they have when they fight it's totally the opposite it's quite right-wing it's quite managerial it's neoliberal um it's very much like you know just go for enterprise bargaining and and, and everything's great and if you can't and you know i mean the opposite yeah, in candidate to Anna is one of his big platforms is to just lobby the government. And it's like, well, we're a buddy union. We don't need to lobby the government. You know, we've got, we're workers. We've got worker power. And there's 824 members at UQ of the NDEU with an approximate density of 11%. So there you go. It's very, very small. It's time to shake the joint up, Andrew. Well, I can tell you and I can reassure you and all the listeners that everybody else seems to think that too in the NTEU. You know, I think we're scaring the hell out of these people and good because it's time that they were scared. And like you said, you call a scab a scab. So let's Can I just jump in very quickly? I think that Andrew just hit the nail on the head there, but I've had so many conversations with people over the past couple of weeks. Just recently, I was in Mianjin, Brisbane. I was talking to workers at UQ, at QUT, at Griffith about the conditions they face and the issues that they have with the union. And every single university worker I speak to has told me the same conditions exist at their institutions. And they have told me that they are unhappy with the direction of the union. It's a widespread recognition. And there are people who have left the union because of how bad it is. Now, I I'm always going to be the person to say, join your union. If you're not working in the tertiary sector, you can jump on right now, australianunions.org.au. It'll help you find exactly what union you should join. But, you know, there have been so many people that have told me, I'm going to sign up to the NTEU if you win. Or I have signed up because I heard you were running. I, like I said, I think people should join the unions in any case. But the fact of the matter is that the current leadership has caused so much discord with the working base of our sector that people refuse to have that association. And I think that's really shameful and something really ought to be done about it. The neoliberalism that Andrew spoke about earlier, they've turned the word union into a bad word. We've got a couple of minutes left for it. Why don't you give us the big pitch on why your ticket here should get your vote? Oh, I reckon this is a bit of a big one for just one person to answer, but I reckon we've seen 
the sector in crisis. We have known this has been going on for years. We've recently come uh, through a pandemic, but you know it was bad before then. It's been bad for so long. And really, we have to ask the question, with the current leadership, with the current incumbency, if we know it's bad and we know it's getting worse, where have they been this whole time? And so what we're suggesting is that we actually need a different direction for our union. We need fresh vision. We need organizational experience. We need people who live and work on the front lines of our universities, who have the understanding of the day-to-day -day realities that rank and file members experience. And we are going to take that experience, that vision, and that energy to the leadership of our union. And we're going to build a democratic union that is going to mobilize members and it's going to win back our conditions, jobs and pay. And that's something to believe in. Now, Anastasia, the, the whole point of this show was to get everybody riled up and ready and prepared to vote for yourself and Fahad and Andrew. How can they support you? So voting will open on the 10th of August and will close on the 5th of September. You will get a ballot mailed to you from the AEC, yes, a paper ballot, and you need to fill it out and walk it to a post box. However, we don't think the only thing that members can do is voting. We believe in organising and we believe in the power of workers to shape their destinies. And we have a whole lot of things that you can do to start organising your workplace and creating change for a new NTEU. So we have a website called anewnteu.com. So that's A-N-E-W-N-T-E-U.com where you can sign up to our, our contact list, print out posters. There's a whole bunch of stuff that you can do there. So please do get in touch. And listeners, if you go to the podcast, we'll have those links there for you as well. So you can go to Palestine Remembered and find those links and make sure you get out and vote for Fahad and Anastasia and Andrew. Wonderful team ready to represent you at the NTEU. Thanks so very much, guys. If there's no other reason to vote for this crew, it is because the current leadership can only manage to get one in six people to sign on, which doesn't make them leadership. Thanks, guys, for, for joining us. Anastasia, national running for National General Secretary. Andrew Beisel, uh, who's running for National Assistant Secretary. And Fahad Ali, who's running for National President. Guys, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. What a wonderful conversation. Thank you, Rob. And once more, solidarity with Palestine. For the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share the podcast. And remember, there's never been a better time for a free Palestine.